Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. The coronavirus is not creating this inequity. The coronavirus is revealing this inequity amongst different school districts. Due to the nature of autism, any change in a routine causes a huge disruption to treatment and mood. All the homeschooling stuff sounds very doable and interesting, but the reality is I'm still expected to fit in an eight-hour workday on top of that. You can't replace a human teacher. You know, I had six lunch ladies, I call them, in my kitchen, and we started day one delivering 200 meals to families in our community. Something that's been kind of comforting for me, at least, is that everyone else is doing the exact same thing. Like, I'm not missing out on anything. Kids should go out and study nature, build a garden, read good books, and those will be the things that will help children connect meaningfully to learning. This is an America Amplified special from the New England News Collaborative. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel from Connecticut Public Radio's morning talk show, Where We Live. You just heard voices from across our region reacting to widespread school closures, at-home learning, and educational disruption while states try to delay the spread of coronavirus. This hour, we want to hear your voice. Are you a parent or teacher struggling to make the next few weeks and months work? Join the conversation, 888-720-9677. You can find us on Twitter at N-E-N-C New England. Coming up, we'll hear from some parents of students with disabilities who say distance learning cannot serve their children's needs. My first guest is joining us via Zoom, Dan Dominich, Executive Director of the American Association of School Administrators. It's a national group that serves 13,000 public school superintendents. Dan, welcome to our show. Thank you. Great to be with you this morning. It's a stressful time for many people, Dan. In New England, nearly all schools are closed. Uh, Opening dates are tentative. They vary from one state to the next. What has been the federal guidance, if at all, to help shape these school closures? Well, the federal guidance seems to be uh, to let the states and the localities uh, make those uh, decisions uh, we have attempted to work with the CDC in, in getting more specific recommendations for schools, but it basically always comes back to it's up to the governors uh, and the localities to determine that. But what we see happening today is that 47 out of 50 schools, uh, states have actually closed their schools. The only states that remain open are Nebraska, Iowa, and interestingly enough, Maine in, uh, in our region. Uh, so there's over 124,000 private and public schools that are now closed around the country. It's a pretty general. It's well over 90 percent. You mentioned that your association has really been trying uh, to work and get guidance from the CDC. We know that information has fluctuated uh, since the beginning of this pandemic, Dan. Uh, it's a local decision for school districts, for governors. But I imagine that's caused a lot of confusion and stress on the ground. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've tried to get clarification on and, and have not uh, is that the original guidance from the CDC um, basically didn't uh, give any numbers. But then uh, the last uh, guidance that they came out with indicated uh, that uh, there shouldn't be groupings of more than 50 
had excluded schools. And then a couple of days later, the president came out uh, with guidance uh, that talked about groups of 10. Uh, and again, it wasn't clear whether that excluded schools or not. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's perplexing to uh, superintendents to figure out uh, how uh, you can have a guidance that says you shouldn't have more than 10 people coming together uh, and not pertain to schools where, uh, as we know, there isn't a classroom that isn't going to have more than 10 students. And the schools in general can have anywhere from hundreds to thousands of students. So that was very uh, uh, confusing. Uh, so consequently, that's why we see uh, that the vast majority of schools around the country are now closed. And the big question right now uh, is, will there be any guidance in, in terms of reopening uh, these schools? And uh, again, we hear conflicting information uh, when the president talked about hoping things will be re returned to normal by uh, Easter Sunday uh, and the possibility that uh, there, there may be uh, stepping away from social distancing uh, in specific areas. So this is all very confusing to all. And the news this morning, of course, as we all saw, is that the United States now leads the world uh, in the number of coronavirus cases. So. Uh, we're not seeing things improving. If anything, they seem to be getting worse. You're hearing Dan Dominich, executive director of the American Association of School Administrators, as uh, we broadcast a special regional call-in special uh, from America Amplified. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You can join us. This show is for you today. Uh, we want to hear from parents around our region of New England, as well as teachers. Uh, do you have the resources you need to help with these distance learning plans? Uh, maybe you're a teacher with children at home as well, and you're also expected to be a resource for parents and your students. Join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677, or find us on Twitter at NENC New England. Uh, Dan, now that we know that many school districts, again, have had to launch into these plans with maybe two weeks uh, to get it together in terms of how students and teachers and parents will be able to stay connected actual school buildings are closed. So legally, what responsibility do school districts have to educate children when they're not inside school? Well, here's, here's more confusion. Uh, so um, with this is a, a, a situation that has never occurred in the past. The closest thing to this, of course, were school closures as a result of natural disasters, as a result of the weather. And uh, when, <clears throat> when those uh, uh, events happen, uh, nothing was done uh, other than to wait for uh, schools to reopen and then get back to normal. And so most school districts around the country build in days uh, for this eventuality into their calendar. So that's the only thing that would resemble what we have now. But nothing has ever compared uh, to the possibility of having schools closed for as, as much as three months or possibly uh, well into another school year. So this is uncharted territory, and uh, I think that the, the solution, the apparent solution, has been for school districts to begin to uh, take advantage of the technology and begin offering instruction to students online. Uh, but even that uh, has run into uh, a number of, of difficulties, um, not the least of which is that a, a vast number of school districts don't have the capacity to do that. 
And Dan, um, and Dan we've heard from certain uh, schools uh, around our region, uh, including an elementary school principal in Callis, Maine. We know that, again, instruction online uh, for students to adjust to remote learning, internet connectivity, as you mentioned, is not an option everywhere in New England. This is what this elementary school principal in Maine told us. My name is Sue Carter, and I'm the principal of Callis Elementary School, as well as the Callis Alternative School. So we're less than, we're a city, less than 3,000 people. Uh, we're free and reduced lunch rate at the elementary school is usually pretty close to about 70%. Like many rural towns have a lot of substance abuse uh, and poverty in our small city. Not all of our students have technology at home besides a cell phone. Not all of them have uh, Wi-Fi. So our packages consist mostly of paper, pencil, dice, uh, card games, that kind of thing. The understanding with the packets uh, that we sent home is this does not mean that you need to recreate school. This does not mean this is an added stressor to your family. This does not mean that you become a teacher. Here are some things for your kids to do that will maintain them where they're at academically. And you do it at your leisure or you do it at your pace or you don't do it at all if it's too much for your family. Again, that was Principal Sue Carter in Callis, Maine. We also heard from Gabby Oja, a Durham, New Hampshire high school student. Right now, and because of that, the Wi-Fi isn't the best. Um, a little bit earlier today, I was in a meeting with one of my other teachers, and for like a good couple minutes, I couldn't hear or see anything that was going on, and so... And that was kind of annoying, honestly. That was tape from New Hampshire Public Radio. Uh, Dan Dominich, uh, respond to what you're hearing. We know distance learning is complicated. Accessibility really is a barrier for a lot of people. Yes, it is. And uh, that's something we're very much aware of. And uh, we've been trying to work with the uh, Department of Education and the FCC uh, in terms of making provisions so that families that do not have access to wireless uh, because of economic reasons are provided that access. Uh, one of the impediments we're hearing to uh, uh, companies being able to do that is that many of the companies have a restriction uh, that says that if a household is behind, is in arrears in terms of payment, uh, they may not qualify for the free services that a lot of these companies are offering. So we're trying to deal with that. We're trying to work with the ECC. Uh, many of you may be familiar with what is known as the E-rate, uh, which is a federally funded program that provides uh, a connectivity to schools around the country uh, and trying to see if the FCC would expand that connectivity again to schools, uh, to homes, again, of the families that, that don't have that because of economic reasons. Some of the things that uh, creative ideas that school districts are doing is that they're using uh, their school buses that have connectivity as hotspots, uh, and they drive those buses into those communities uh, where there is no connectivity in the hopes that the students will be able to take advantage of it. Uh, but it is a problem, and yet it's another deterrent uh, in the equity factor here. Uh, that as much as schools uh, want to and might be able to offer online learning, uh, there are these factors that prohibit uh, all students from being able to take advantage of it. 
We're going to be going to break in just a little under two minutes, but you can join our conversation, especially if you're a parent or teacher, the number 888-720-9677, or find us on Twitter at NENC New England. Uh, Dan, uh, just something I wanted to go back to, and if you can answer quickly, we can continue coming up. But in terms of the idea that this is unprecedented, this has never happened before for public schools, is that surprising, especially after 9-11 when we had uh, national emergencies. States have pandemic plans. Why wasn't this something that was on the radar for schools, states to consider? Well, because of the, the, the circumstances of a pandemic, <clears throat> which, uh, which are different from 911, where we still had uh, people that were healthy and we still had teachers that were healthy. And those factors did not prevent kids from coming to school. Uh, this is a situation where uh, if if the only cure that we're aware of is this staying at home so that we don't wind up getting infected or infecting other people, uh, nobody ever dreamt that something like this could happen. Again, you're hearing Dan Dominich, executive director of the American Association of School Superintendents, rather, a national group that serves 13,000 public school superintendents. This is an America Amplified special from the New England News Collaborative. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Later on in the conversation, we're going to talk more about remote learning and how it impacts students with special education needs. We want to hear from people who are dealing with this right now in their homes. Call 888-720-9677 to join the conversation. Conversation, or find us on Twitter at NENC New England. When we come back, we'll also talk about the practical and legal challenges of remote learning with children with disabilities. This is an America Amplified special from the New England News Collaborative. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel from Connecticut Public Radio. We're taking calls from around New England about remote learning. Now that schools have closed to delay the spread of coronavirus, how are you balancing your child's education needs at home? Join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook, or rather Twitter, at NENC New England. Stephen is calling from Hanover, New Hampshire. Uh, Stephen, are you there? Doesn't look like Stephen's there. Let's try uh, Nathan from Maine. Nathan, can you hear me? Hey, yes, I can. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, what's What are your thoughts? Well, I was thinking, I don't know, it's just a suggestion, but maybe a live um, episode um, for local TV. Maybe a school could get a camera in there and have on each different level groups maybe a one-episode um either once a week or once a day um, for learning on the TV, television for local TV. Just a suggestion. I'm not really sure if that would work or not. 
Well, thank you, Nathan, uh, for your call in. Uh, my guest is Dan Dominich, Executive Director of American Association of School Administrators. Uh, Nathan brings up a good point, Dan. A lot of people have televisions in their homes. And so is this another way that uh, students can be reached during this uh, time of indefinite closures? Yes, it is. And it's a great idea, Nathan. And it's actually being done. Uh, one of the first uh, places to do it was the uh, Los Angeles School District, where the PBS station uh, has agreed to broadcast instructional programs uh, every day throughout the day. Uh, and many other uh, places around the country are following suit. So clearly that, uh, that, that possibility, that potential is there. Uh, it can be done and is being done in a lot of places. Uh, but again, uh, bear in mind that when we talk about instruction, that's, that's more of a passive uh, uh, procedure uh, as opposed to the teacher engaging directly with uh, students, uh, which is what a lot of the teachers are attempting to do through the online uh, process. But yes, it's, it's a great idea uh, and certainly supportive of what we're all trying to do. Thank you for bringing it up. Stephen is calling in from New Hampshire. Stephen, you're on the show. Yes, good morning. And Hello? what's your comment? Yes, go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm a clinical psychologist, um, uh, pediatric in particular, and with a community and uh, disaster mental health training bent. And I really appreciate this, this uh, conversation that you're having. This is a wonderful program. I wanted to call in and just talk about the fact that we have a lot of families who are now struggling at home, and I'm really thrilled to hear the superintendents on today. Um, and I, I wanted to stress a couple things, if I may. One, uh, in particular, to make sure that uh, the adults are constantly remi reminded that it's our job to regulate our affect in order to contain our kids' anxiety and fear over this. None of us has ever been through anything like this. The last time something like this happened was 102 years ago, and uh, so there's no one on the planet that has been through anything like this. And as a result of that, it's going to really put a, uh, attention on our own mental health. Uh, I would encourage you, if you feel so inclined, to go and look at a video. Actually, there are two that I've put out uh, that are actually currently being used in Ethiopia. Uh, actually, I'll just not name the countries, but I know of eight countries at this point, including this one. Um, and the acronym is SOOTHE, as in soothing your soul. It is a daily approach based in the science behind what we know as clinical psychologists to remind ourselves, and I'm going to run through the letters really quickly, and I appreciate the time you're giving me uh, for Sue. The S stands for structure your days. One of the first signs you'll know when you're under a lot of stress and there's a lot of cortisol running through your brain, which is not helpful to your brain, let me just state that, is that we start to lose track of time. If you notice you're losing track of time, losing track of days, like what day it is today, um, and then you start to notice after that that short-term memory is becoming a difficult thing, one of the best things that happens with schools and teachers, God bless them, Buddha and Allah too, is that it structures the days for these children. So parents really need to think about how to structure. Keep your circadian rhythms the same as they were. Get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, structure your day. Um, the video will say a lot about that. It's at drstephenatkins.com. And, Stephen, we actually have to get moving on this show, but we thank you for that tip. I know a lot of parents, including myself, uh, need uh, that reminder, uh, again, to help soothe all of us during these stressful times, and we thank you for your call from uh, New Hampshire. You can join us, too, again, for this special call-in from the New England News Collaborative, the number 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Twitter at NENC New England. 
England. I wanted to bring another voice into the conversation. Fran Rabinowitz is executive director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. Fran, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lucy. Thank you. Uh, Earlier, we talked with Dan about the barriers, the challenges of making sure that all families, especially in our region of New England, are connected uh, as we've taken these unprecedented times to launch these distance learning plans. But I'm wondering what other supports can school districts provide, especially for your teachers who, again, need to find a way to connect with these students who are forced to learn from home? You know, um, it's it's such a very good topic. I am in touch, um, if you can believe it, pretty much daily with um, the superintendents in Connecticut. Um, and this is one of the greatest concerns um, for them, especially for our special ed um, students. And um, I also would love to talk a bit about the digital divide that I'm seeing in Connecticut. But I would say to you that one of the things that we know, um, which um, Stephen talked to and Nathan to a point and Dan, is the relationship between um, the educator and the student is so important. And I know that schools are making every attempt to um, have teachers um, even calling on an individual basis, calling students to build that relationship because, honestly, that's the underlying foundation. And, yes, we want them to learn, um, and certainly that is important. But that foundation of um, making them feel safe, making them understand that um, this will pass, it's a stressful time, is incredibly important. And one of the things, I'm just being honest, um, one of the things that we're all struggling with is to better deliver services to our, um, our students with disabilities during this time. When we talk about students with disabilities, we're going to be talking about that coming up, Fran. And and again, we're spending a big portion of our conversation thinking about ways that school districts can better serve them. But I wanted to go to an email from Sarah. She wrote, we need to be reaching out to these families in a coordinated way, offering support and hope, help where we can, FMLA, paid for parents who are now caregivers to a disabled child. Families, particularly those in distressed communities, will need materials and supports. Yes, computers, but also recreational materials, adaptive and sensory equipment, social and mental health support. So going back to my original question, what about that emotional support for children, for teachers, for parents? I believe that that is, I've been a believer before the pandemic, you know, uh, many, many years before the pandemic, that emotional support, um, we all need it. And I believe that that is incredibly important. And I think at this particular point in time, the way we do that is through communication. And school districts are trying their best to communicate in the context of their school district. It may be through um, uh, Zoom meetings with parents. It may be through um, individual phone calls. It may be through emails, um, text, whatever it takes. The communication is um, incredibly um, important. And just letting um, um, kids know that we are there that there is um that 
that caring and that love for each other and that we're going to get through this together. Fran Fran Rabinowitz, again, you're executive director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. You've been a superintendent in in a suburb as well as a a big city like Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, We know there are variations around our state alone in terms of access to high-speed internet. Just the other day, I saw parents on Facebook in Hartford saying they're still struggling to get computers to their children, even though the school have been closed now for almost two weeks. Should there have been more collaboration statewide to hand out these resources? Because individual school districts have really been left on their own. Um, I think it's the the one bright spot in this, um, you know, frankly, I do believe that um, we need to step up to the plate as a state and we need to ensure that the students in our challenged communities have what they need. I would say to you, thankfully, the Dalio Foundation has come forward with um, 60,000 computers, um, which is certainly a help. There is a task force now of superintendents that are overseeing the distribution of those computers. Hopefully, that is happening right now. But let me point out something. Um, That's wonderful, and I'm thrilled that every child will get a computer. I know what it was like in Bridgeport. I know what I was not able to give um, the kids. Um, And frankly, they had Chromebooks 7 through 12 when I was there three years ago. But those Chromebooks are now seven years old, and there's been no um, funding for new ones. So I know that there there is a great need for that. But on top of that, you have a need for when they get these computers, are they going to um, know how to work them with their families? And again, you know, the the Wi-Fi. And I think we need to move into a coordinated approach to ensuring that they have the hardware, they have the um, the software, the portal, the resources available, and it's a monumental task, but it's never been more important than right now. And Fran, you mentioned the, the Dalio uh, Foundation. Again, this is a major philanthropist, a, a philanthropist. A philanthropo- philanthropy, yeah. rather, based yes. in Connecticut, a public-private education partnership that has uh, agreed to give uh, money towards uh, Chromebooks uh, to schools and students in need. I wanted to bring Dan Dominich back into the conversation, Executive Director of American Association of School Administrators. Uh, Dan, I asked about should there be more statewide collaboration to help specific school districts? Uh, what are you seeing from a national perspective, again, because uh, Internet uh, connectivity is an issue in all states? Yes, it is. And uh, and by the way, let me give a shout out to a friend who was one of our exceptional state executives. So nice to hear from you this morning, Fran. Good to but, hear uh, you, Dan. <clears throat> the, uh, the, we're, we're, as I had mentioned earlier, we're, we're trying to get uh, the FCC involved uh, and definitely uh, as additional legislatures being crafted in the D.C. area uh, to make provision for the uh, the lack of, of computers uh, in homes uh, that cannot afford to have that connectivity. Uh, you know that the E-rate is already a tried and tested program. It works well uh, in all of our schools. It seems to be at this point uh, the most expedient way of meeting those needs. And, and we're very much working with the Secretary of Education uh, and the FCC to hopefully have this happen uh, before this, uh, definitely this school year is out within a matter of a couple of weeks. We'll see if that, we, that can be done. 
You're listening to America Amplified Special from the New England News Collaborative. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel from Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, we wanted to talk about remote learning, how shifting to it in a short time period is difficult enough. But how do these distance education plans crafted by school districts meet the needs of children with disabilities? You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Twitter at NENC New England. I wanted to take a call from a parent calling from Rhode Island, uh, Ramona Santos is on with us. Ramona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You are a parent of a child with a disability. Uh, you live in Providence, Rhode Island. You're also executive director of Parents Leading for Educational Equity. Uh, what has the last two weeks been like for you trying to help parents figure out what to do now? Yeah, it has been really, really difficult. Just this morning, a few minutes ago before, you know, I, I called um, I got three parents texting me like we still cannot, you know, get into the uh, to the Chromebook to the, you know, online distance learning plan. So there's a lot of stress. One of those parents particularly has a child with an IB, and it has been really, really tough on her to just try to figure out what can she do at home. When you're talking about uh, parents trying to figure out what they can do from home, a child, you have, again, a child with a disability. Uh, personally, are you worried about what this means for particular supports that your child and others get in the classroom that they're cut off from now? Yeah, so for me, my experience has been so far, um, so far good, right? But I have a lot of, uh, you know, content knowledge about what supports my child needs to get by law. So I think that's the biggest difference that I'm seeing. So at home still, my, my daughter has a 504. Um, so I know what a 504 looks like. I know the services that she needs to get. So I am on top of that. But the difference that I am seeing um, with other parents is just trying to even figure out to read what an IEP looks like. What are the goals? So if, I, if my child is supposed to receive speech therapy, or he was receiving speech therapy at school. Just imagine at home, I'm not a speech therapist. How am I supposed to do that? So those are the big barriers that I'm seeing, and also language. So if the teacher doesn't speak the language of the parent, how they are going to be able to communicate and collaborate is very concerning. Well, thank you, Ramona, for calling in to today's show. Dan Dominich, Executive Director of American Association of School Administrators. How do you respond to what you're hearing from Providence, Rhode Island? Well, that, that is a major problem uh, across the country. How can we possibly provide these special services that really require the teacher being with the student uh, at a time when social distancing seems to be the, the only preventive measure for what's happening? Uh, I know that uh, there are districts where <clears throat> special ed teachers are, are doing a great job in, in terms of working uh, online or uh, over the phone. Uh, with the parents and, and trying to help the parents to provide the services that they can't provide. But as our, our parent just mentioned now, she's not a speech therapist, so there are things that she cannot do. This is a major issue. Uh, one of the things that districts are hoping that they will be able to do, and this was mentioned as well, is compensatory education, uh, that after this is over, and hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, that the districts will then be able to provide compensatory education to a lot of these students that required service and did not get them. But right now, the, the fact that you can't have this one-on-one -on -one, uh, personal contact between the parent, the teacher, and the student is a major deterrent. 
Uh, Ramona, if you're still there with us, when you hear Dan talk about compensatory uh, resources when school does uh, come back in session, does that concern you? Because where will the money come from? Absolutely. The money, the time, the resources, like Providence, uh, you know, it's in a very special place, if you will. The the state took over this district just last year, November, because of how bad things were. So we are a district who was already pretty depleted. And then this, which is no one's fault, came and hit. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, it's it, it, it's very concerning. I just And I want to highlight something, really, just making sure that, that I acknowledge that teachers, principals, school administrators are working really, really, really hard. And this is something that is really, like others have said, unprecedented and that I don't think anyone was ready to take on this crisis. But, you know, and I want to acknowledge that, but this is just really highlighting the deep-rooted inequities on, you know, the education system for students with disabilities, but also for multilingual language Mm -hmm. learners. Ramona, again, thank you for calling in today. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This is an America Amplified special from the New England News Collaborative. Today we're looking at the educational and social impacts on school children now that they're forced to learn at home with schools closed due to coronavirus. We want to hear from you. 888-720-9677 or find us on Twitter at Next New England. After the break, we take your calls and explore some of the social impacts on children forced to learn at home. We'll be back. This is an America Amplified special from the New England News Collaborative. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel from Connecticut Public Radio. How has the coronavirus shutdown affected your home life? Is your child adjusting to learning at home? Do you have a child with a disability and worry about certain supports like physical therapy, speech therapy that you're not you're not getting for your child? Um, if you're a parent, how are you doing out there? Join the conversation, 888-720-9677. Again, you can also call 888-720-9677 or find us on Twitter at NENC New England. Uh, Mara's calling from Maine. Mara, you're on the show. Yes, thank you. Hi, Mara McDermott, and I'm a parent. I'm a former special ed teacher up until last year. I teach in the public schools. So in my own district, my daughter had a lunch group, and they met yesterday through, I guess, what, what would you call it, Zoom or teletherapy. So I made lunch for my daughter, and then I left the room and let her talk to her OT, her speech therapist, and her other peers, and they grouped together on a Zoom meeting. So she was getting services that way. The other thing I do is I have a very structured day for us. We are, quote, in school from 8 to 2.30. We take a half-hour break for lunch at 12, and then we... And then we um, go for a walk, and we would do a two-mile walk, regardless of the weather. We, I drag her out there. She drags me out there. We get that done, and we try to get some fresh air and exercise. I keep a chart on the refrigerator, and we check off everything we do. Morning, get ready, get dressed, um, you know, what we're doing throughout the day, if we're reading, if we're doing our exercise, and we try to keep a lot of structure. Um, I think that's... As a school, we're touching base with all kids that we haven't heard from. We're trying to get eyes on them every day and um, connect with them, you know, give them encouragement and um, just let them know that we're there. Well, thank you. 
Thank you, Mara, for calling in today, again, uh, from Maine. I wanted to add someone into our conversation now, Jane Bergeron-Bolieu, joining us via Zoom. Mara says they're using Zoom to stay connected. Uh, She's executive director of the New Hampshire Association of Special Education Administrators. This is a group that serves special ed teachers across uh, New Hampshire. Uh, Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I'm sure you heard our caller, Mara, from Maine, talking about... uh, trying to find different ways for her child with a disability to stay connected, to get those supports. Uh, what kind of instruction or guidance are you giving administrators throughout New Hampshire to help with students who are used to having IEPs or individual education plans? Well, as we launched into uh, remote learning in New Hampshire, we've been um, very fortunate to have all of our professional associations working together, the superintendents, the special ed administrators, uh, NEA New Hampshire, our school boards and our principals. Um, And as we launched into remote learning from the lens of special education, there were some fundamental principles that we tried to reinforce with our special educators and our special ed leaders. And the first one, um, as we've heard today, is to first and foremost, consider the health and well-being of our children, as well as all of the adults that they're connected to, and keeping that in mind uh, throughout this very difficult time. The second one uh, principle that we kind of uh, guided people through was, in terms of kids with disabilities, making sure that their learning continues and that they have the opportunity for participation in the general ed curriculum and that continued opportunity for a free appropriate public education, which we know as FAPE. And FAPE and general ed looks very different now. FAPE and general ed is in the home setting, which has uh, presented many challenges for us in terms of uh, delivering the services outlined in kids' IEPs. Jane, I, I wanted to bring in uh, uh, some tape that we got. We spoke to a mother who has a child on the autism spectrum. Uh, her name is Emanuela Palmeres. She's talking about the lack of supports for her child. Special needs parents right now are carrying a huge emotional burden. Um, many of us are not allowed to parent because we are trying to do our best to deliver services instead of parenting. Um, we are terrified of regression. So... We don't know how far the regression could go. It could be a couple of behaviors we've been able to eliminate, or it could be as possible that, you know, you lose some communication. So it's a very scary time right now. Uh, Jane, how do you respond uh, to a parent like Emanuela who's worried about regression? I think it's a very scary time for kids, for parents, as well as for educators. In New Hampshire, as I think across the country, um, how we deliver these services for remote learning when it comes to kids kids with disability has been left up to um, each state. In New Hampshire, um, we're using a variety of different platforms when it comes to special education and our teachers uh, are trying very hard to stay connected with families. They're providing teletherapy Um, whether it be speech, OT, um, our school psychologists are working with families. We've got uh, online learning. We've got folks who are using Google Classroom. We've got uh, teachers who are using YouTube. One of the biggest thing is connecting with families. And if they can't be there face-to-face with the students, um, really 
consulting with the parents in terms of how to implement some of the services and the IEPs. And we're finding that in a few rare cases, that can't happen, especially for our medically fragile kids who may need a nurse all day or a one-to-one aide by their side. Um, but for the most part in New Hampshire, our, our teachers are doing a stellar job. It certainly is not perfect. We're learning along the way. In New Hampshire, it's just been week one. And we're, we've learned quite a bit during this past week. Um, but very important is connecting with those parents. You're hearing Jane Bergeron you Executive Director of the New Hampshire Association of Special Education Administrators. You can join our conversation too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Twitter at NENC New England. Rachel's calling from Waterbury, Connecticut. Rachel, you're on the show. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm calling um, just to kind of share my story. Um, I have two children that have ADHD. And um, I'm finding that it's hard to keep up with the academic side because I'm having to make room for being able to provide them their therapeutic needs in order to deal with just the stress of, of not being at school and not having that social structure. And I'm also seeing that there is um, like an impact on self-esteem because they don't have the social structure. There's no reinforcement for them to really kind of see that they're, um, how they kind of match up against their other, you know, colleagues and neighbors and schoolmates. Well, thank you for calling in today, Rachel. Uh, Dan Dominet, who's with us you, from a national perspective, executive director of the American Association of School Administrators. What has the U.S. Department of Education said, again, to states when it comes to providing each child with equal access to education? How should states be helping to support children with disabilities and their parents? Well, what the the, uh, Secretary of Education has has said to us uh, on this issue is that uh, uh, school districts are obliged uh, to provide an education to each and every child. There's no exception to that. Uh, She understands uh, the difficulties in terms of serving our students with special needs and are asking uh, school districts to be as creative as possible in providing that uh, flexibility. Um, But she also understands the difficulty of doing this. It may be possible uh, as uh, we begin to consider the reopening of schools uh, in certain areas that are not as affected by this, that it may be possible then to bring those children back into the school to Mm -hmm. receive the services that, uh, that they need to have but the, the problem of servicing our medically fragile kids, our children on the autism spectrum at the uh, higher ends uh, who need that kind of attention uh, at home uh, is, is a real challenge. And uh, we're all very much aware of it, uh, but it is a, a challenge and it's gonna be difficult to uh, provide that service, particularly at a time when we see the number of cases spiking around the country as opposed to leveling or being reduced. And Dan, when you mentioned bringing certain children back into uh, the, the school to get supports, is that a dangerous proposition when we talk about social distancing? Uh, when we, I know these children need to have certain supports, but what is the solution that keeps them safe? Exactly. And, and uh, I heard yesterday from uh, one of the CDC staff people talking about the possibility of schools reopening. And if they do, uh, they would have to maintain this social spacing. Uh, 
so even if schools reopen and, and students are brought back in, uh, how can you still deal with the issue of there being no social space in the case of a teacher that has to hands-on provide therapy for students that need that kind of therapy? Uh, so this is a big, big challenge. This is relevant to Jane Bergeron-Bolyu, Executive Director of the New Hampshire Association of Special Education Administrators. Uh, that's because uh, that uh, there's been three-tiered plan that the New Hampshire governor has uh, transitioned or put out. Uh, tier two, again, would call for some kids to come into school buildings. Has that proven controversial? It has. Um, and again, as I mentioned, all of our associations are working together and we actually did submit a letter to our governor um, asking that that model be reconsidered just for the health and well-being of the children and the, the staff who serve those students. We raised um, some significant concerns. There was just a very small portion of schools who decided to use that model um, and so we, I think, are going to have continued conversations about whether or not that should continue. And Lucy, if I may quickly just add that in the conversation of bringing uh, students back to school, let me say that what I'm hearing from a lot of our superintendents around the country is that their staff is sick. And even if they were told to open tomorrow, they couldn't because they don't have the staff to reopen schools. Well, we got a comment on Twitter from Melanie from Maine. Her son has IEPs, again, individual education plans. She writes, since my seven-year-old is already far behind his peers, I worry he'll regress. He takes part in summer school here in our district. And if that doesn't happen this year, I fear for his progress. And we've been spending some time talking about the challenges and the needs for parents with children with disabilities. But Dan, just to broaden it out, when we talk about, uh, you know, in, uh, equity and uh, issues of of access, that also relates to socioeconomic backgrounds and the fact that certain districts don't have certain resources like other districts. How do we resolve that? Well, that's a problem that has been going on in education forever. We recognize that there's a huge inequity in educational systems, and, and it, it all has to do with the way we finance education. If you happen to live in the wealthy suburbs, you have a school district that has plenty of resources to provide for the needs of kids. If you happen to live in an area where there's a great degree of poverty, those schools don't have the same resources. That is proving out right now when we talk about online learning and what are the districts that have the capacity to provide it and what districts absolutely don't. So the inequity that exists in our school system has been apparent and has been a problem forever. And that's where we believe that the federal government has to step up uh, and, and do a better job of equalizing uh, what uh, students get on a per pupil basis around the country than what, ha what is the case right now. There's huge inequities where we see that there are states that are spending three to four times more per pupil than other states. And how can we possibly have equity under those circumstances? Uh, Jane, quickly, you're, again, you're calling from New Hampshire, uh, a state that doesn't have income tax. So what does that mean for school districts in terms of helping, again, make sure all children uh, get the same access, the equal access to education? This has been an ongoing uh, conversation in New Hampshire, not just in, from the lens of special education. Uh, we rely heavily on our property taxes in New Hampshire to fund education, and we're looking at that through a commission that has been uh, legislated this year, but it's been kind of put on halt just for now temporarily because of the epidemic. But um, it does in terms of con in 
connectivity for kids, what the resources, it varies tremendously from uh, district to district in our state and certainly is has a significant impact upon remote learning. You can join us again uh, here on this special call-in from the New England News Collaborative. Uh, Mark's calling from Connecticut. Mark, you're on the show. Hi. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I um, am with a company called Windsor Learning, and we offer Orton-Gillingham science-based reading and teaching materials. And we're offering free semin- seminars right now for educators that can uh, that, that talk about e-learning and all the different approaches. You know, we've, we're doing about five or six a day. You know, there's a thousand people on each call. There's Zoom meetings. And I just want to give the name of the website you can go to, take a look and sign up for these free professional development courses. Uh, quickly, Mark. Uh, sure. It's called Windsor Learning. So it's W-I-N-S-O-R-L-E-A-R-I-N. NING.com. So just go to WindsorLearning.com. It'll be right on the homepage. And feel free to have any educators, uh, special education folks, uh, sign up, and you're welcome to join. And thank you, Mark, for your call. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. Dan Dominich, I, I want to go back to you. We, we've heard from teachers throughout the New England region. Uh, Lori Silvira told us from New Bedford, Mass., you can't replace a teacher. You have to be careful about some of these new resources, websites, instructions, uh, companies out there uh, that are thinking about profits, and you can't replace that interaction, that personal interaction that students are getting in, in the class. So where, so what? Well, how do you respond? respond uh, to that comment. I absolutely agree. You can't replace the teacher. And I think there has to be an understanding that everything we're attempting to do, we're attempting to do because of dire circumstances. There's no way that we're going to then go to a totally online system for education that doesn't include teachers. So absolutely, we need the teachers. And let me take this opportunity to thank all the teachers and principals and superintendents and educators that are trying to do their very best for all of our kids under just incredibly dire circumstances. Well, we want to thank uh, for you, Dan Dominich, for joining us here on this special America Amplified call-in special, your executive director of American Association of School Administrators. Again, it's a national group that serves 13,000 public school superintendents. Uh, Dan, before we let you go, are you going to be in a meeting soon uh, with the U.S. Department of Education, hopefully to provide uh, additional guidance? I, I was actually in a meeting uh, two days ago with the vice president and the secretary of education, and we hope to maintain those lines of communication as we move forward because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Well, thank you, Dan, for joining us here on this call-in special. I'm Lucy Nalpathanjal from Connecticut Public Radio. Again, an America Amplified special from the New England News Collaborative, a first in a series. Next Friday, join New Hampshire Public Radio to continue exploring the impact of coronavirus in New England. They'll be focusing on health care workers on the front lines. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff, Morgan Springer, Katie Tolarski, John Dankoski. Special thanks to Jean Amatruda, Vanessa Delatore, Executive Editor of the New England News Collaborative. Also, this special made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. <laughs>